SBS live streams and podcasts are supported by advertising. SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program today, we explore the no campaign to Indigenous Voice to Parliament with Warren Mandin, a leading figure opposing Indigenous Voice, joining forces with the Coalition's Indigenous Australian spokesperson, Jacinta Price. On NITV Radio today, we also look back at last week's major events in the Torres Strait Islands, celebrating culture and reaffirming the community's aspirations to self-determination. NITV Radio Today will also feature a health report with new research showing links between alcohol consumption and breast cancer. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Federal court hearings in Torres Strait, a landmark case about the impacts of climate change. Industry leaders voiced their opposition to the same job, same pay reform. And the Taliban leadership invites Australia to come investigate war crimes in Afghanistan. is today due to hold hearings in the Torres Strait in a potentially landmark case about the impact of climate change on island communities. In October 2021, Uncle Pabai Pabai and Uncle Paul Kabai from the islands of Boigu and Saibai filed the case against the Australian government for failing to prevent climate change. Traditional owners argue the homes of people in the Torres Strait could disappear beneath the rising seas, making them Australia's first climate change refugees. The federal court is to hold hearings on Boigu, Badu and Saibai Islands in the Torres Straits and also in Keynes. Both elders are expected to give evidence on the climate harms experienced by their communities on the front line of what they say is Australia's impending climate disaster. Members of the court will also tour the islands to witness the climate damage already affecting cultural sites, food supplies, homes and ways of life. Earlier last week, a ceremony was held to mark a significant milestone, the 31st anniversary of the Torres Strait Island flag. A special service was held to commemorate the flag's designer, the late Bernard Marmok Sr., 
this flag symbolizing the unity and identity of all Torres Strait Islanders was the winning entry in a design competition run in 1992. The same year, the flag was officially presented to the people of the Torres Strait Islands at that year's Winds of Zenith Festival. Mr. Namok's son, Mr. Bernard Namok Jr., says he's proud of the way the flag brings everyone together. Every anniversary of the Torres Strait flag, you see the support from not only our people, but the visitors of this place as well. And um, you can't do anything but just smile and, I guess, you know, be proud because the flag united everybody and it shows today. A news poll survey suggests that support for the Indigenous Voice proposal has the backing of fewer than half of all Australian voters. Results of the poll show 46% of all voters support the voice to parliament with 43%, while 43% are opposed and 11% are undecided. The survey asked 1,549 voters across the country and was conducted between the 31st of May and the 3rd of June. It was the first news poll survey to present respondents with the exact question that will be on the ballot paper when the referendum is held later this year. The poll was conducted for the Australian Daily Newspaper. Major employer groups have joined forces to oppose the next phase of the federal government's industrial relations reforms. The reform seeks to close a loophole that allows companies to pay hired contractors for less than workers doing the same job even after negotiating a pay rate. The eight industry groups representing hundreds of businesses say that the same job, same pay reform is a retrograde policy that will slow down the creation of jobs. Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry CEO Andrew McKellar says the new policies will cause a devaluation of qualified employees. Really removes fairness and it removes uh, opportunity. It means that uh, you know an employee uh, with different skills, with different experience, uh, with different qualifications, will be um, paid the same as somebody um, who has uh, less of those qualities uh, than they do. Um, it means that for businesses, uh, it restricts their opportunity uh, to take on more employees uh, and to create more jobs. The federal government is prepared to consider further action against consultancy firm PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, once a police investigation is carried out. Talking about the conduct of PwC in using classified treasury advice for commercial gain, Treasurer Jim Chalmers calls it a substantial breach of faith. The Treasury Department has referred the conduct of the firm to the Australian Federal Police. However, Dr Chalmers says the government would consider whether other options would be needed following the police investigation. A senior Taliban spokesperson has invited Australian officials to travel to Afghanistan and investigate allegations of war crimes committed by Australian troops. Afghan-Australian lawyer Arezo Zosafi told SBS Pashto the government should be cautious in accepting the Taliban's invitation and that any engagement would put alleged victims at risk. It is unsafe to give them financial compensation because they will be primary targets of the Taliban who are money-hungry at this stage. and They'll come looking for them, kill them, persecute them and obtain those monies. 
The Afghan-Australian lawyer has commended Australia for being the only nation to investigate allegations of war crimes in Afghanistan, saying it shows the experiences of civilian victims do matter. According to the United Nations, the Taliban killed more civilians than any other force during the 20-year conflict in Afghanistan. In Russia, protests took place across the country to mark the birthday of Alexei Navalny, one of the country's most prominent opposition leaders who has been in jail since 2021. Protesters celebrated Mr. Navalny's 47th birthday and many were talking against the war in Ukraine. Russian police say they arrested 109 people over 23 cities in the country linked to the opposition figure's birthday celebrations. Alexei Navalny is serving a sentence of 11 and a half years in prison on charges of fraud that he claims are politically motivated. Mr. Navalny expressed himself on a video call. In order to extend his own personal power, Putin is tormenting a neighboring country, killing people there. And now he is throwing into this meat mincer of a war a huge number of Russian citizens who should be living a normal life and taking care of their families. Therefore, it was already a crime, and now it has become a much bigger crime. In neighboring Ukraine, Russian forces bombed the, the Dnipro area in the center of the country overnight. Russia claims it hit an aerodrome and military installations with a precision strike. Ukraine authorities reported 22 people injured, including five children, after two residential buildings were hit. A two-year-old child was also killed in the strike. United States Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has called China's actions irresponsible after an incident involving a Chinese destroyer nearly coming in contact with U.S. and Canadian warships in the Taiwan Straits. The U.S. Indo-Pacific Command says the U.S. and Canadian ships were operating routinely and under high seas freedoms. The U.S. guided missile destroyer and the Canadian frigate were conducting training exercises when the Chinese warship came as close as 100 meters to them as they transited the strait. The U.S. Navy has accused the Chinese destroyer of making unsafe maneuvers. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says China must be judged by its actions. In those days, we were talking to uh, the PRC and and. It was still very difficult to uh, to manage that crisis. Imagine now if something happens and we don't have clear communications, how difficult that's going to be, and what could what could happen in the in the short term. So it's interesting to always hear what they say, but uh, I think we have to judge them by what they're actually doing. And that dangerous activity uh, continues. Canadian Defence Minister Anita Anand says Canada will continue to sell where international law allows, including the Taiwan Strait, and called for everyone to engage responsibly. Back home, the Board of High Speed Rail Authority will formally begin operating on the 13th of June and will be chaired by Jill Rosso. The appointment was announced by Infrastructure Minister Catherine King after what she called a merit-based process to select the new members of the authority. The government set up the authority to oversee the development of a high-speed rail network on the East Coast. The body will be responsible for fast trains connecting Sydney to Newcastle and Melbourne to Brisbane. Ms. Rousseau is currently the Infrastructure Executive Director at IFM Investors and a board member of the Port of Brisbane. 
Minister King says each of the other board members had extensive qualifications, knowledge and experience to make high-speed trains in Australia a reality. And to sport in tennis, world number three Novak Djokovic has inched closer to a record-breaking 23rd Grand Slam title after reaching the quarterfinals at Roland Garros for the record 17th time. The Serbian will play Karen Hachanov, Hachanov in the quarterfinals. He advanced after a straight sets win, 6-3, 6-2, 6-2 over Juan Pablo Varias, the first Peruvian in 29 years to reach a Grand Slam fourth round. Djokovic says he's looking forward to the chance to create Grand Slam history. Well, I'm proud of it, but uh, my attention is already in the next uh, next match. I mean, obviously quarterfinals, Kachanov. Um, I know what my goal is here, so I'm trying to stay mentally the course and, of course, not look, look too far. But um, obviously the performance of today gives me a great deal of confidence about how I felt, about how I played. Um, so I'm looking forward to the next match. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 26, Perth, showers increasing 18 degrees, Adelaide a shower 219, Melbourne partly cloudy 19, Hobart mostly sunny 15, Albury Wodonga mostly cloudy 16, Canberra cloudy 15, Wollongong a shower 218 degrees, Sydney cloudy 19, Newcastle much the same 21, Brisbane showers 22, Townsville partly cloudy 27, Keynes a shower 228, Alice Springs mostly sunny 28, Darwin sunny 31, and the Torres Strait Islands are partly cloudy day and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Now you're listening to NITV Radio and I'm Petron Tungendame talking to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Coming up in your program, we explore the No Campaign as the two groups opposing Indigenous Voice to Parliament joined forces. We also look back at this year's Winds of Zenith Festival that just wrapped up in the Torres Strait Islands, a celebration of culture and also a reaffirmation of the community's aspirations to self-determination. And in health, we explore the link between alcohol consumption and breast cancer. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. The two main campaign groups opposing the Indigenous Voice to Parliament have combined. Warren Mandin, who had been leading the Recognise a Better Way campaign, joined forces with, with Coalition Indigenous Australians spokeswoman Jacinta Price in leading the Australian for Unity campaign. Living Black Scholar Grant sat down with Warren Mandin to learn more about where he stands and the No campaign. So where does the Recognise a Better Way campaign get its funding from? Ours is, uh, we, got, we don't have the corporates, we don't have the mining companies because everyone knows that they're all backing the Yes campaign. So we're getting uh, from the everyday ordinary Australians out there who are donating their money uh, and putting uh, putting their money into our campaigns. What's your largest uh, donation so far? Uh, off the top of my head, I would think it was uh, we had a very generous donation from a 
private citizen of 50 grand, yeah. That's our largest donation. Did that money come from the Gina Reinhart's foundation? No. We haven't received a cent from, uh, from Gina Reinhart or from Hancock Prospecting or any of her businesses. None. Big business appears to be getting behind the Yes campaign. Yeah. Why do you think that is? That's a good question. And I'll give you KPMG. And I'm, I'm very scathing of KPMG, and the reasons are very simple. They run, I didn't ask for this or didn't know anything about it. I got a phone call one day, and they Join said it. to me, I, our CEO, read your article in the Fin Review, and he, he thinks that we should lead, hear both sides of the voice. And so we'd, we'd like you to come and, uh, you know, do a presentation to us. And I said, oh, yeah, OK, that's very nice, that's really good. 48 hours later... I get a phone call back when they said, oh, we decided to go a different way. We don't need you anymore. That's the wrong way to do it. We spoke to a number of people who we thought could be appropriate to address us and in the end invited Senator Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price as a strong advocate for the no side of the debate. People should be able to access both sides of the arguments, and even there's some in between, uh, to, and make up their own mind. You know, my thing I, uh, you know, about uh, is that if you're, if a corporation is telling you we're yes people, the good news for you is uh, it's a secret ballot. You can go in that seat, you can go to that ballot box, and you can vote any way you like, and it's okay to vote no. If you don't agree with a voice to Parliament, what are the alternative solutions? How do we lift First Nations people out of poverty and disadvantage? Well, it's, it's a very simple uh, solution to that in this whole area. And what needs to be done is that we need to start focusing on economic policies uh, that, uh, that are real, you know, that you face up that individuals can start their own business. In, uh, people can uh, be able to own their own homes. There's no group of people in the world that's ever lifted themselves out of poverty and got real self-determination in regard to their culture and their, and, and their ability to, to uh, their communities to grow without economics, without business, without commerce, without those things happening in those communities. Noel Pearson also gave evidence at the parliamentary inquiry. If fear-mongering about it resulted in a no vote, it'd be a entire, it'd be a complete tragedy for the country, I think. Noel was also asked what will happen if the no campaign scuttles the voice. Do you have any misgivings about supporting the no campaign? No, not, I don't have uh, many dis, uh, misgivings except one is that um, uh, I'm, I'm nervous that the campaign, and, and you've seen the shoots coming through the, through the ground about this, uh, getting caught up in uh, this racial rhetoric and attacks backwards and forwards. That is a concern of mine. Uh, it gets me awake at night sometimes, and I sit there and I think about how to, what, what's my behaviour so I don't allow that to happen. And, and, and I've made several things. One is, I said, we live in a democracy. If the people vote for it and it gets up, I will work to make sure it succeeds. You know? uh, and, and that's a, a commitment I've made everywhere in every conversation I've had and everything in the media. Uh, so I've, I've made that commitment. So the even thing, though you're a no campaigner, if it was successful, you would support it? If, if, it's a democracy. 
We live in a liberal democracy uh, and, and people have a right to vote and to speak and have their opinions, no matter who they are. They're allowed to do that. And if a, and it's, it, and if a majority of people... It's like with uh, to, uh, last year, with the, the change of government to the, from the uh, Morrison government to the Albanese government. That's democracy. And, I will, and, and since he became the Prime Minister, I always call him the Prime Minister. He's the Prime Minister of this country. And I always do that publicly and, I work and, and, and make sure I say that because we don't want to get into these, these side battles when we should be looking at what the, the voice is. People from all sides and that should be able to ask questions and prosecute their arguments. Uh, and, and that's the way it should be. We shouldn't be uh, you know, pushed aside now. Now, look, Noel's... Uh, a strong voice and, and a very good at, at, at rhetoric and, and, and one of our great orators in Australia. But when he talks about, uh, he starts talking about Australia as, you know, if the country will be broken, reconciliation will be finished, da-da-da-da-da, I don't believe that's true. And the reason I don't believe it's true, because reconciliation, from, from when the Howard government got rid of the Reconciliation Council and, the, and, they, and that people, Australians, set that up and went out into the community with it. It's strong. It will always continue after that. It's, it's not after, say, midnight on Saturday night when we know the result or a few days later when we know the result. Uh, reconciliation is just going to collapse. It's not because there's people out there and I know people out there working, like my niece, who's the CEO of Reconciliation Australia, she's going to keep on fighting. We're going to keep on fighting. I'm support, 100% supporting of reconciliation. So I don't think that's going to be the end of the world. Do you think you might be on the wrong side of history? Oh, people say that, but the good news for me is uh, I'll probably be dead when people start writing about this, and I don't think they'll be writing about me. Uh, I don't think we're on the wrong side of history at all. I, I'm, As I said, I'm about... First Nations, our nations are the t- speakers of the land. I am fully signed up to that, and that's the way to go. We, that's how, how we recognise ourselves. You see it every time an Aboriginal appears in the press or anything like that. They sit there like myself and say, you know, I'm Bundjalung, a Gumbanga, Ewan, an Irish pope, and 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 we do and we do that because we are proud of those roots of who we are. There's been no pan-Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nation in Australia for 60,000 years and before. It's all about those nations out there speaking for their country. I can't speak for other people's country. They, they can't speak for my country. And that, that's our culture and that's who we are. You have often said that advisory bodies to government on Indigenous affairs have failed in the past. For example, you were on Prime Minister Tony Abbott's Indigenous Advisory Council. Why did it fail? Uh, in, it, in, the, in the end, it was abolished, like all the other committees. Now, I don't think it failed completely. In fact, I, I, I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this as anyone else, we get caught up in the rhetoric uh, because not all of them had been failures. You've always pushed for a treaty through various stages in your career, but you don't support voice treaty truth, something Noel Pearson says is just a different strategy. Why won't you support voice first and then treaty second? Uh, because I said, as I said earlier, it's about uh, getting those, that, that voice. If, it, if it's so good, it's so per- perfect, 
then why haven't they did it by now? You know, they talk about, they, they argue, and again, this is their words, they argue that the parliament will design the, the voice and make things. So to me, why is that going to be any different to any other voice in the background? They're going to, the parliament's going to decide what your budget is. The parliament's going to decide what the, the committees looks like, what the voice looks like, and the, and the parliament uh, can do a whole wide range of things how do you think you'll be feeling the day after the referendum? I think I will... I'm, I'm sort of working out whether I'm even going to do the referendum not. Should I go to some place? Or, or, or I've been asked by several places to you know, appear in their TV show that night. I was thinking maybe I should just go home and have a cup of tea and, and watch it all unfold and go to sleep and then get up in the morning and the world get, get, continues on. Are you hopeful of a, a no vote? I oh, look, I'm very strongly hopeful of a no vote. I, I hope it goes down. And it's interesting to look at the statistics about how many people we need for, uh, for uh, our data stuff at the moment and how many people the voice needs. You know, uh, it's, it's massive. They've got to get four states up to win and all we've got to do is get three. And they don't have to be major states either. Uh, the vote we worked out, all we need is about 2.8 million people to vote no across various states. They need 8 point something million to vote yes over various states. So the numbers are pretty good for us. Well, Warren Mundine, it's been nice speaking with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And that was prominent Conservative No campaigner Nungai Warren Mundine. This conversation between uh, Carla Grant, Living Black Host, with uh, Warren Mandin is, uh, has been adapted for radio, but you can listen to the full episode of the Living Black uh, Conversation on uh, SBS On Demand. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Coming up next, shared stories from NITV's NOLA program. Talking up, taking us to landmark celebrations in the Torres Strait Islands. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Last Friday's NOLA program aired live from the Torres Strait Islands as the week-long Winds of Zenith Cultural Festival were wrapping up on Waiben, Thursday Island. A Voice from the Deep is the theme of this year's festival, which draws from the Masik Statement, a four-point plan outlining the Torres Strait Island community's aspirations for self-determination. Across the festival, forums have been held to share and discuss the plan, which lays the groundwork for greater self-determination and regional sovereignty. Tanisha Williams was there. community coming together in harmony to support the Massig Statement, also known as the Voice from the Deep. A four-point plan that sets out the community's aspirations for the future. At the heart is a simple principle. You must recognise our sovereign rights in the exercising of our decision-making for our communities. The statement was unveiled in August last year, 
following a meeting of community members from across the Torres Strait and northern peninsula area of far north Queensland. The islanders say the statement will not just be symbolic, it will give them control of their own affairs, something they don't currently have. The region is over-governed and yet the issues in our community, people are dying ten times younger. The housing crisis is getting worse. The health of our people, we're moving old people out of community who are custodians of knowledge, keepers of knowledge, because they need access to services that doesn't exist. Right now we want to have something in place that gives us the authority and the capacity to be in control and manage our own affairs. That's all we're asking. The gathering also expressing their support for a yes vote at the upcoming National Voice to Parliament referendum. Having the bill passed at the highest level of government is, a, is reaffirming to us that someone in government is listening. But we want more than just people listening. We want them to hear us. It's hoped the massive statement will be achieved by 2037, 50 years since the push for regional sovereignty began. I wish I would be still around, and if I am, I'm probably in a wheelchair by then. I'll probably be dancing and celebrating. The previous story was produced by uh, NITV's uh, Tanisha Williams. We continue with uh, more stories uh, shared by NITV's NOLA program. Well, with the voice to parliament referendum looming, people in the far north of the country are being urged to have their say. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have long been underrepresented on the electoral roll with turnout in remote communities particularly low. But now there's a push on to drive voter numbers up. The Point's national correspondent, Kira Jenkins, visited communities across the northern peninsula area and Torres Strait to find out what efforts are underway to get more people to the ballot box. Inagi Manis is on a mission. She's hoping to get as many young people in her remote coastal community of Saisia signed up to the electoral roll as possible. Yeah, they are a bit shy and um, sometimes do not want to. Um, sign up, but I I just tell them that like it's it's okay to sign up. Hi, how are you? This afternoon, she's come to the Sasia grocery store to meet 20-year-old Pristi Atu. Inagi is one of four young women who's taken on this important responsibility, and says she wants to make sure her community has a say in the issues affecting them. I feel happy that um, we have more Indigenous people enrolling to vote uh, up in my community and the NPA. I hope that they encourage more younger people to enroll to vote because it's so important to hear our voice in our community. Tale Ilu helped to start the project in her community of Saisia and across the nearby communities of Injinu, Bamaga, Yamajiko and Numapun. She says being so remote means there's multiple barriers to being enrolled, including issues with getting identification documents and access to the agencies that would usually look after enrolments. 
there's a lot of FIFO workers who come up for different services, the Electoral Commission being one of them. And, you know, when someone comes up for a short amount of time to try and enrol a bunch of people who are, you know, going about their day, having um, work and other commitments, you just don't get enough people enrolling at that particular time. There's a huge drive for people to be able to enrol online. And when you don't have fast enough internet or reception, that is also an issue. There are positive signs the campaign is starting to have an impact. At this current stage, about 84.5% of Indigenous Australians who are eligible to be on the roll are enrolled. That's gone up 2.8% since June of last year. Uh, It's gone up 10% in the last six years. So it's healthy, it's getting healthier, but there's still a long way for us to go. On nearby Thursday Island in the Torres Strait, work is underway to inform the community. And don't forget you do need to enrol to vote, especially with the referendum happening this year. Radio 4MW Bracky Boat host Sylvia Tabua has been regularly interviewing the Australian Electoral Commission to get the word out about the upcoming referendum. We have an important role to play, which is really trying to make our mob understand what it's really all about. So just breaking down that information so that grassroots people can really understand because when you have that discussion, people are still very confused. Everyone's working hard to get the community prepared for the vote at the end of the year, but there's still much to do. So not many people are aware of what a referendum is um, and the conversation about the voice hasn't really like hit here in a way that um, down south it has. When you don't have a community that's been allowed to be digitally literate because of the lack of like telecommunications and digital access, that also you know, puts a bit of a um, strain on how, uh, I guess, educated people can be around the voice. We must now step aside, but when we come back, we'll be talking about health, looking at the link between alcohol consumption and breast cancer. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Welcome back. Now, Australian scientists are seeking to raise awareness about the link between alcohol and breast cancer. World Fast Breast Screening Service trial has revealed that even very low levels of alcohol consumption can increase the risk. A new resource created in collaboration with Monash University, Victoria Health and Turning Point is seeking to tackle this lack of awareness, as SBS's Hannah Kwon reports. At 46 years old, Catherine Elliott decided to quit drinking. Six weeks later, she was diagnosed with locally advanced breast cancer. Well, I actually quit drinking before I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019. In fact, it was six weeks before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. As a former binge drinker, Catherine began to question if her alcohol habits had anything to do with her diagnosis. She says she was shocked to find many studies proving a direct link. And the surprising thing was that it wasn't heavy or excessive drinking. It was even light drinking that was connected with increased breast cancer risk. Catherine is not alone. 
The Breast Cancer Network Australia says that the regular consumption of alcohol increases one's risk and that the more you drink, the greater that risk becomes. But a new study has revealed that only one in five women are aware of the links between alcohol consumption and breast cancer risk. Monash University Research Fellow Dr Jasmine Grigg led the study in collaboration with Victoria Health and addiction treatment centre Turning Point. Together, they've developed an alcohol intervention resource called Health For Her to raise awareness. Women who participated in the Health For Her um, brief alcohol intervention, we found a significantly greater proportion um, became aware of the alcohol breast cancer link. So that increased from 20% of women being aware of the risk to 65% of women being aware of the risk, which was a big, um, a, you know, big change. In order to develop the resource, a randomised control trial was carried out at the routine breast screening appointments of 557 women at Maroondah Breast Screen in Melbourne. Dr Jasmine Griggs says women who agreed to participate not only gained greater awareness of the alcohol breast cancer risk, but of alcohol literacy more broadly. So um, there was a doubling in the proportion of women able to identify the amount of alcohol in a standard drink. Um, there was a tripling in the proportion of women knowing um, how many standard drinks are in a serve of wine. And we, there was a quadrupling in the proportion of women knowing the maximum uh, Australian weekly guideline for alcohol consumption, which is drinking no more than 10 standard drinks per week. Based on feedback they received about women not wanting to read a lot of text, the resource is more audio and visual based. It includes a seven-minute animation featuring health information, strategies and alcohol behaviour techniques. Catherine says having such a resource prior to her diagnosis could have been helpful. I'm coming up to four years alcohol-free. I've been able to change a lifestyle factor that I wasn't probably using that well before. But I think absolutely if I had known about it, Previously, I might have made different decisions about how much I was drinking. Dr Griggs says while the resource is still in its early stages, they will be looking to expand it in the future to make it more accessible. One of the next phases of research um, is, is absolutely to apply it to, to collaboratively design the intervention with women from, from Cald and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander groups um, and, and then to um, have it available in, in different languages and have it, have it appropriate for, for women um, in, in these groups, absolutely. While this study focuses on women, Victoria Health's Chief Executive Officer, Dr Sandro DeMeo, says there is also a link between alcohol consumption and breast cancer in men. Breast cancer in men is, is far less common, um, uh, but it's an important consideration. Uh, you know, alcohol is associated with a number of different types of cancer. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, you know, you, you are at higher risk from a range of cancers, including breast cancer, uh, you know, if you, if you consume alcohol and that risk increases with increased consumption. The Monash University study shows women in Catherine's age group, midlife and older aged women, are most at risk. Alcohol consumption accounts for 6.6% of cases in postmenopausal women and 18% of breast cancer deaths. Catherine has been cancer-free since 2020. She says she hopes sharing her experience can help others. I think it's very important to raise awareness around this issue 
so that women can make educated decisions around their use of alcohol, particularly as breast cancer is the most prevalent cancer in Australia and globally for women. Over 20,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer in Australia each year. Hannah Kwon, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. As we edge to the end of today's program, I'd like to invite you to check our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV radio, as we continue to update this website with new content, some of which never actually make it to the airwaves. I also encourage you to continue the conversation on our social media platforms, Facebook especially. Well, thank you for staying with us this Monday afternoon. Patron Tungendaming, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Till next time, bye for now. Yaluk.